We join Jesus in the temple in Jerusalem this morning. He's been teaching and arguing with the religious authorities. And he's told some parables, and those stories have made the authorities angry. And so they come up with a plan. They decide to try to trap Jesus in order to discredit him. They find a a hot-button issue, uh, and they ask a sort of gotcha question that Jesus could not possibly answer without getting into trouble one way or another. They ask, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Now, to our ears, perhaps this sounds like a pretty benign question. We're used to paying taxes in myriad forms, and while we might not always like it, most of us take it for granted that taxes are to be paid. But this was not so in Jesus' time. Remember that Jesus lived in a country that was occupied by the Roman Empire, and for the most part, the Jewish people were not pleased with this occupation. Insurrections and revolts were commonplace. People organized in revolutionary bands, hoping to drive the Romans out of their country. The taxes, which were often a great burden on people, were a symbol of the Jewish people's lack of freedom. So with this in mind, perhaps we can appreciate the pickle that Jesus is in. On the one hand, if Jesus says that it is lawful to pay the tax, then Jesus is seemingly advocating collaboration with the occupying Romans and a betrayal of his own people and, in the eyes of some, maybe even a betrayal of God. If, on the other hand, Jesus says that it is not lawful to pay the tax, then Jesus will have branded himself as an insurrectionist and a revolutionary and risked arrest and execution. Jesus is unfazed by the question, and he lays a little trap of his own. And asking them to show him the coin, they reveal that they have brought a graven image into the temple complex, which bore an inscription that declared the emperor divine, and thus a rival god. One could argue that these authorities have violated both the first and the second commandments of the Ten Commandments just by bringing the coin into the temple. But in any case, they surely come to realize this after the coin makes its appearance. And after the coin makes its appearance, Jesus gives his famous response to their question. Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and God the things that are God's. Render unto Caesar, right? This answer amazes the authorities, and they walk away. But why? Why would that answer be amazing? How is it that Jesus foiled their trap. Answers to this 
these questions might not be so clear. And I think that's the case because I have a hypothesis this morning. My hypothesis is that we don't really understand Jesus' answer. And we don't really understand why the authorities would be amazed because, because we have a cultural worldview that makes it really hard for us to understand just what Jesus is saying here. We are a people who have been formed by a secular worldview. We are a people who have enshrined in our constitution a fundamental cultural idea of of the separation of church and state. We can't help but see the world through these lenses. And therefore, it's hard for us to mishear this teaching that Jesus shares today. My hunch is that when we hear Jesus say, give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and God the things that are God's, we think of of two separate realms, maybe even two separate kingdoms. The emperor's things are the material and the political things, the things that, that taxes pay for, like roads and armies. And in contrast to these, there are God's things. And God's things are spiritual things, things like souls and and spirits, angels and demons. Perhaps we might have in mind an image of, of two different circles. One circle is the emperor's things, and the other circle is God's things. And we might think of these two circles as different and unrelated. But of course, it doesn't really make sense to think of these things as unrelated if we look at Jesus' ministry. Because after all, Jesus is not just concerned with souls. Instead, he worries about the whole person. He worries about their health and their well-being. He heals the sick, and he feeds the hungry. He proclaims good news to the poor, sight to the blind, release to the captive. These are not just metaphorical or spiritual acts, but, but concrete actions that are real hope and real help, tangible, physical help. Jesus seems to be worried about what's in the emperor's circle and not just what's in God's circle. But of course, that would be the case, wouldn't it? Because throughout the Bible, we see that God is worried about things that make up the emperor's circle too. Throughout salvation history, God is concerned for the poor and the outcast. God is concerned about the orphan and the widow. God becomes angry at the wicked for how they mistreat the poor and the vulnerable. God's judgment is against corrupt and idolatrous kingdoms. Throughout Scripture, God makes a total and complete claim on the emperor's circle. 
It's almost as if the emperor's things are not really the emperor's things, at least not ultimately. Rather, the emperor's things are God's things, and the emperor is merely a steward of those things. The emperor has been entrusted with promoting the common good and the well-being of those things. But the things are God's, since God created them. God created them by love and through love and for love. God is totally invested and totally committed to the whole of creation, even the bits that are the emperor's. And so instead of thinking of the emperor's circle and God's circle as unrelated, we might better think of those circles as intimately related. Instead of thinking of them as separate, I think we'd be better served to think of the emperor's small circle finding itself within and included within God's much bigger circle. God's claim on us is absolute. And the emperor's claim, or any human regime's claim, is always relative. So with all this in mind, perhaps we can see why those listeners were amazed, because Jesus blows up their question. Jesus is not telling them that it is lawful or not lawful to pay the tax. He is not advocating paying the tax, but neither is he not advocating paying the tax. The tax is not inherently good, nor is it inherently bad. Our relationship to the tax, and thus our relationship to government in general, has always to be discerned in relationship to God's claim on us. Jesus invites his listeners to acknowledge that the emperor can have no absolute claim on anything, for only God's claims can be absolute. And thus the question of paying the tax then is a question of discernment. It is a question of listening to God for God's direction in the context, and looking to respond faithfully to God's invitation. Jesus uses this moment of a trap to open the hearts and the minds of his listeners to see the world and the politics of this world through the lens of God's commitment to justice and to peace. Jesus is inviting his listeners to acknowledge God's claim. Great good can be accomplished through taxes and through government in general, but so too can great evil. The followers of Jesus are always invited to work for the common good and for justice and peace. We will always need to work with government to that end, while also recognizing that there are times for civil disobedience, for those times when the governments fail to honor their God-given purpose of promoting the common good. Always, 
and everywhere, Jesus asks us to conform our hearts and minds and actions to God's commitment to justice and peace. We are to give to God the things that are God's, which is to say, we are to give to God our all. Amen.